Our special guest tonight from San Antonio is uh, Pastor John Garland. Um, he's going to join us uh, for a time of um, conversation. He and I are going to talk a little bit. We're going to share a little bit from the podcast um, episode that he joined us for. And then after about 15 minutes or so, uh, we're going to open it up for Q&A. And there's really um, no question that's off limits, I don't think. Maybe there is. I'll tell you if I hear it. Um, this is Pastor John. Would you help me uh, jo- uh, welcome him Thank as you. he joins us today? I'm really honored, honored to be here and to worship with you this morning and, and meet a lot of you. Thank you so much. What a beautiful uh, church. What a beautiful community. What a beautiful place to worship. So thank you so much. Appreciate it. Thank you, John. Mm-hmm. We don't want to let you go back. I kind of like you. <laughs> you got stuff to do back home, I guess. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about what your life is like and who you are and how uh, you ended up doing this. I'm the pastor of a, of a little church in the downtown part of San Antonio, just south of downtown. Um, we're uh, an Anabaptist church, so... We're like y'all, all about Jesus, all about community, all about uh, building peace. Um, and San Antonio is the epicenter of a lot of people moving from Central America in, in, um, from our border and through our city. And we um, are a part of that response. Um, we are seeing a lot of people every single day, hundreds of people who've been released from the border patrol or released from the detention centers. Um, what our church has done over the last five years is we've ministered to people who are stranded overnight. Because we're in the downtown part of San Antonio, it's extremely dangerous, especially for very vulnerable uh, mothers with little children. And so we, um, we created just a hospitality ministry for this population. And it's been going on for five years. So we've hosted um, tens of thousands of, of people in a, in a very little house. But we very quickly realized that this is not just about um, giving people a safe place to sleep, um, but this is about hosting the pilgrim church that is coming through uh, and to our country. I was blown away when I realized just by asking people um, and and praying around the table um, and hearing stories and then more stories, I was blown away that 80% of the people who are coming from Central America are evangelical Christians. Um, a lot of them are leaders in their church. The other 20% are Catholic, but, but we, are, we are receiving people who have memorized our same scriptures and pray in our same way and we sing the same songs uh, and they're so glad to get to our church and pray and worship. Um, and so we realized, oh, this is not just about hospitality. This is about, this is about being church um, with this population. Um, and that has dramatically shifted who we are as a church. Um, before we were kind of like a downtown, you know, commuter type of small community of people who are, um, you know, kind of liked our style. And now it is very much um, a, a uh, mixture of people who are responding to trauma and are called to good news and healing. Um, I remember in the um, interviews we did with y'all, the women were making fun of your church services a little bit and they said it's too short. And, uh, Way too short. <laughs> y'all, y'all don't pray enough. There's no time to come and just fall at the foot of the cross and weep. Um, you, you don't sing long enough and you go home at noon. What is that? Like what, what you do is you show up for church in the morning. The one thing you know about church um, with a lot of these families is that you show up at nine o'clock in the morning. The rest, you have no idea. You might be home uh, later on after dinner or not, but um, yeah. Right. What's the service like? 
at your church? Our service is, it, well, it's, <clears throat> let's be honest, it's very similar to y'all's service, but not very professional. <laughs> so <laughs> so we, we, don't, we don't have this amazing worship band. We have, you know, hearts that want to sing. Um, we also, like y'all, we, we, we serve communion every worship service. Um, and, we, and we join together in, the, in that, that healing and that mystery and that promise that Christ is broken for us and with us and we can engage in that in a physical way. So when uh, we talked on Skype this week, and I showed a clip this morning, but we, there was a lot more we talked about than what we could share in the morning. But um, you mentioned, when I told you I was preaching on the Canaanite woman or the Syrophoenician woman, um, Mark calls her Syrophoenician, Matthew calls her Canaanite. And, uh, and you said that story is special to you because you feel like you encounter that woman every day. I, I meditate on that story. I, I meditate on that story because of the um, the... When I hear that story, I hear the offensiveness of the woman. Um, and I hear the weariness of Jesus and the disciples. And I hear, no, 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 I'm called to do this. This is what I'm supposed to do. And this woman is breaking through that barrier and is saying, stop, you need to help me now. And we experience, so, so we, we have our very beautiful, gentle hospitality house. It's lovely. It's trauma-informed. It's peaceful. But we also spend a lot of time in an emergency shelter, which is cots, and it's gross, and it stinks, and there's people who are coming in off the bus station, and we're helping people make it through the Greyhound bus station, which is crowded and tight. And, and I'll show up, you know, with my little blue vest that says, estoy aquí para ayudarte, and, I, and people will, will come over and clamor, and they will grab in this desperation and they will push my buttons or they will hit me at times when I'm exhausted, just, just beat. Um, and, and I want to say, no, I'm called to this. I need to focus on this. And my, the reason I meditate on this passage is because Jesus, I, I think you're dead on, is setting his disciples up to see as Jesus sees. And my prayer is always, Jesus, let me see this woman as you see this woman, or let me see this child or this, this man, because traumatized people are not super fun to be around. That's who we're called to be around. Uh, that's what the, the good news is for the broken. The good news is for the blind. The good news is for the, 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 the trapped and the imprisoned and the lame, but they're not super fun to be around, especially when you're tired or uh, it's, it's, it's 3 a.m., you know, um, or, man, I was going to deliver an awesome sermon this morning, right. and here we are dealing with, a, yeah, we're doing a, 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 a panic attack. And so my meditation with this story is always, Jesus, let me see this woman as you see this woman. Because let's be very honest. Sometimes you want to be like, man, you're a dog. I can't see your humanity. Mm. We do that all the time, all the time. And we have, to, we have to admit that, that there is something in us that misses the humanity of others. And we see the race, we see the gender, we see the, the dog, you know? Mm. Um, but then I think we're called to meditate on that, um, especially when we work with traumatized folks. Yeah, that's hard, that's unpleasant to think about ourselves in that way. We like to affirm ourselves and feel good about ourselves. And Thank God that Jesus called us out on it though, right? And said, let me tell you this story. 
And Matthew tells it in one way, Mark tells it in a slightly different way, and both of them are really powerful. I feel them right here yeah. uh, in those times. Y'all are, I mean, I, it's not time for questions yet, but y'all know the feeling, right, of being inconvenienced by somebody who's a human being, right? But like in that moment, you just want them to go away. Sometimes you're related to the person, but <laughs> other times, <laughs> it's usually someone you don't really know that well that sort of steps into your life when you're, you're, you're all about something else and then they step into your life and you're, on the one hand, I, it's usually a mix of feelings. It's usually like, no, I got stuff I got to do. And on the other hand, you're, there's also fear sometimes, like what's really happening here, you know? Am I in danger or whatever? And uh, that's a tough one, but I do think that's why Jesus orchestrated this story the way that he did. And I think that's what um, your work and the people um, pushing your buttons have to, to teach us all, right? There's a deeper thing, and I want to do a public service announcement really quickly, especially for people who work in the public schools and folks who do work with traumatized folks. Um, Y'all, trauma is a communicable disease. There's this thing called secondary trauma. And there are lots of illustrations of this in the, in the scripture, but we're called to preach good news. And you can, see, um, you, can, you can see the trauma in others, but it is stunning when you start exhibiting the signs of trauma as well. And, and basically trauma is, means you're, you're trapped in your five stress responses um, and you begin to develop uh, uh, attachment disorders. Can you tell us the five real quick? Yeah, so I, I, because I'm a pastor, I, I just do the, uh, I put them, start them with F, F words, right? The first one is fighting. The second one is flighting, you know, fighting and running away. Yeah. And those are the ones we talk a lot about. The, the third one is fixation. That's where you're focused on one thing. Thing, or you're staring at the wall, um, or you're, you're fixated on one particular place that you want to get, or you're, stare, you're up all night staring at the, at the window, right? The, the next one is folding, where you just kind of quit. Um, and the, all of these things save our lives, um, and they preserve our internal organs, and they keep us going. They're God-given. These are stress responses are God-given. And the last one, um, uh, the, the last one is freezing, where you actually can't move at all. Freaking out. Yeah, no, it's the opposite. It's where you actually can't, can't move at all. Um, now, all of these things are good. What, what trauma does is it traps you so that you cannot get out of your stress response or you're living life just normally and then something will trigger you, snap you back into the trauma trap or all of a sudden I'm, I'm responding to you out of my stress response when it's completely inappropriate. It's absolutely inappropriate. Now, that, that's, that's what trauma looks like. The fruit of trauma then is attachment disorders where you will build walls and I want no attachment whatsoever. I'm not gonna love anyone or let anyone love me. On the other side of the spectrum is um, over-attachment where you love the wrong things too much. You reach your arms out to anyone with power. Um, and these, these attachment disorders are, you begin to recognize that in folks that you're, that you're responding to, but then also you see it in yourself. Have you seen it? Oh my gosh. Yes. What's yeah. It's, uh, um, well, I'm not going to, I'm not going to tell you stories about me cause that's kind of boring, but there was a, there was a, um, here's, here's a very simple example and, and it'll give you an opportunity to kind of be critical of me, I think as a father. Um, there's this woman named Santos who I think if you listen to the podcast, you can hear some of her story. And I believe that y'all were praying for her in this church for the reunification between her and her child. And that was a thrilling, 
thrilling day. It happened on her birthday that we get a call from a social worker and she says, you can come and get your child. And, um, and I'm, I'm, I, you know, I take care, I've got two little girls and my two little girls are with me and I take Santos and the sister and this little one. And we go to the place where they're being reunified. And here is little boy who has not seen his mama in months and is, um, has seen his brother die and is, is still having nightmares about the death of his brother. He sees his, his mother and they are embracing and she is holding this child and the sister's there. It's this beautiful thing. And my daughters are there and they're witnessing this and I'm witnessing this. And I'm, I'm thinking to myself, this is, this is how you teach your children about the kingdom of God. Uh, this is how you teach your, king, your, your children about, about love and about sacrificial love and, and et cetera. And that night, bedtime, my beautiful, sweet little girls are losing it, mm. like kicking and crying and just completely off the rails. And I'm thinking, what in the world is going on? And I go back to my trauma training. I'm like, ding, 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 ding. And you pick up this child. Wow. And, you, and I said to my, my eight-year-old, I said, um, do you think someone is going to take you from me? And she says, Daddy, why did they take that little boy from his, her, his mama? And if you ever are a big fan of Mr. Rogers, I'm a huge fan. Mr. Rogers says in moments like this, when children are scared, um, God does this, to, this all of the time, by the way, but when children are scared, you hold them and you focus on the helpers. You tell stories about the helpers. So you recognize what's going on and criticize me as much as you want because it's true. I exposed my daughter to secondary trauma, mm. right? Uh, and that was, it was not severe, but it was there, both of the daughters. And you hold them and you focus on telling a true story mm -hmm. and a gracious story. And so I talked about that social worker and what she did to do the reunification. I talked about um, his mama, and what she's doing to help him uh, overcome. I talked about our church and what we're gonna do um, uh, with, with her. And we talked about, you know, what are ways that we can, we can help them now? And then there's that moment where you hold your daughter and you're stroking her head and you say, sweetie pie, I won't let anyone ever take you from me. I'll never let them take you from me. God, I hope that's not a lie, yeah. I say secretly my prayer. I, like, I, I know that you've given me so much, but, but, but let this be a true thing that I'm telling my daughter. Mm. Um, wow. So uh, we'll circle back to trauma and, and trauma response in a minute. I wonder if um, you could maybe give us um, a 30,000 foot view of the situation mm -hmm. on the ground as you see it now and um, the numbers involved mm -hmm. and, and how the dynamic um, situation is changing with the laws and, yeah. and all of that. Yeah. Um, the laws, I'll, I'll just say there's a massive, huge disconnect between what's happening in Washington and the laws and all that sort of stuff and what's happening in Central America and then what is happening in between. Mm. Um, and and I, would, I, would just, I would just let everyone know that our laws have absolutely no influence about over whether or not people are coming or not. 
Um, so just, just to be clear, when we ever, whenever we do law, like scary laws or detention policies or whatever that are intended to keep people from coming, they don't work because they don't know that these laws are in place or they've already left and they're already on the road. So most of the families that are coming here, minimum have been traveling for a month. Uh, minimum, it takes a month to get from Honduras to the border of Texas. I've met some families that have been on the road for nine months uh, because they get stranded in various places. But they're leaving horrific violence. Um, it's extremely disorganized violence. It's failed states um, that are essentially towns and sections of the city are not run by one gang, but multiple street gangs that are not they're not organized, they're not drug cartels, they're extortion gangs. So family, if you own a business of any sort, you are having to pay what they will call a war tax mm. to five, six, seven different gangs. That, and they don't have guns, but they have machetes and they're threatening you um, with these various things. And then um, if you're not able to pay or if you know, your child is being forced into the gang or your daughter is being pulled into this, this horrific situation, there are choices that are having to be made um, uh, on the fly. There's not a lot of preparation. It's gonna cost about $5,000 to get from say Honduras to the Texas border. So you're, you're cobbling together everything you can get. Um, Myra, who was on the podcast, described asking uh, for a loan. And she asked for much, much less than the $5,000 um, and on faith um, uh, left with that. It takes about a month. Uh, it's extremely dangerous to come through Mexico because everyone on the road knows that these travelers have all of their, their possessions on their, on their body. Mm -hmm. uh, so they're coming north, trying to stay in groups for protection. Um, if you have any money at all, you take the buses. If you don't have any, you take the freight trains. Uh, where you're jumping on a moving um, uh, freight train. Um, and, then, and then once you get to the border, um, there, are, um, there are various places that people can stay if they're lucky, these kind of open air shelters, walled uh, churchyards, that sort of thing. Um, but they, what, they, what their goal is, is to get into what they call the promised land. Um, the land of milk and honey. And they describe it in a very religious terms. Um, if I can get into the United States, I can ask them for asylum. And the belief is that I will then be safe. Um, so they'll, they'll, they'll come, to the, come to the bridges and if they're allowed to cross the bridge because their number is called, then they will and they'll ask for asylum there. If they're not and they don't have any safe place to go, they will cross at the river um, and then they'll, they'll hail a border patrol agent and say, we're here to, here to ask for asylum. Everyone is taken to a border patrol processing center um, and, um, and there they um, are checked for medical stuff and tattoos and all sorts of things and they stay a night, two, three, four nights in this super cold concrete uh, lockup and then they are sent to a detention center or they're released for their asylum case. Um, so there's essentially a lot of people, mainly women and children, um, and they'll separate out the fathers and send them other places, or it's a, a father and a child, but it's always, almost always single parents mm. who are then left on the, the streets of a border town, or they're, they're dropped off by a government bus at a bus station in San Antonio or McAllen 
um, or El Paso or Laredo to say, you need to now go to this person that is, you say that you know here in the United States, you need to check in, here is a, a GPS shackle, so we'll track you, or here is the, is the, is the check-in date, and you gave us the address and information of this person who's now responsible for you going to your ICE Does uh, the person have to agree to that? Like, yeah. Okay, mm -hmm. so they're mm -hmm. checked with as well. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. the sponsor, I guess. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, which is very easy to do. You yeah. get a call from an I have done it a number of times. The ICE official calls you. He's like, will you sponsor this person? You say yes. And it's like, mm. you're like, oh my gosh, what did I just do? Um, but, but then what will happen is uh, people are gonna then move through after they've given, they don't have now nothing left. Uh, in terms of riches. So they're trying to figure out a way. How in the world do I get from uh, McAllen to New York City? Mm. How long of a walk is it? Is that where you guys come in? Yeah, yeah. Or, or, or um, I, need to, I need to get to uh, rural uh, North Carolina or yeah. Florida to some, to some family member. Um, do you um, help? connect those dots for people? There's a lot of, we, we were doing that all kind of on our own for a while. And now because of the, the summer has been kind of bonkers and there's a whole bunch of people. We have a coalition of churches and organizations that are working right now to help people connect the dots. Right. A lot of times it's just a cell phone call. Um, I see. So. Okay. And then a little time because it, I, to get from San Antonio to New York City, say costs $400, yeah. which will take a week or two for a relative to cobble that sure. together. Yeah. Right? Well, I thought that um, for those unfamiliar, I think most of you are probably unfamiliar with the podcast episode. Um, and just to give you a little taste of um, that, I thought we would play a short clip of a, uh, the introduction of Myra's story. So you mentioned Myra um, a little earlier, and this is um, the beginning of episode, part two of the episode in which we introduced um, Myra and her story. Hola, mi nombre es Myra Alejandra. So mis Myra, a mother of four from Honduras, has struggled with reading her whole life. But her father, Jorge, taught her Bible verses, like Psalm 91, when she was a child. She grew up in a city where gangs run everything. Her sister and two brothers were gunned down. Their pastor was murdered too. That's when her father became a volunteer preacher who preached his fiery sermons at local churches as well as a few local bars. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, he often quoted, but against the spiritual forces of evil. While Myra was pregnant with her fourth child, the baby's father was shot to death, and in the weeks that followed, gang members started showing up at the fruit stand Myra managed, demanding to use it as a lookout. She said no, knowing very well that from that day on, she had a target on her back. I kept praying and telling God, my Lord, how can I go and help my children? One early morning, I started praying and I said, my God, if it is your will, I will ask our Christian brother to help me and to lend me money to get out of here. Only if it is your will. And if it's not, I will stay. And you will help me somehow. After I prayed, I went to speak with him. And the brother said, Yes, how much do you need? 
He lent me a small amount, around 4,000 lempiras, and with that, I left Honduras. Myra barely slept for weeks on end as her family traveled through Guatemala into Mexico, knowing that she couldn't afford to take her eyes off her kids. We had an encounter in Monterrey when I was intercepted by kidnappers. I was very afraid because the men had tattoos all over and they surrounded me. And one of them wanted to interrogate me. That's when I said, I am covered by the blood of Christ. I cover my children with the blood of Christ. And one of the men said, go on, go on, stop bothering her, let's leave. Traffickers did eventually trap Myra and her three children in a southern Mexican house alongside a crowd of other migrants. The traffickers stole her money and her phone. Traumatized, her wide-eyed six-year-old son began slurring his speech. Her slender, preteen daughter was being groomed for sex slavery, and Myra's own pregnant belly continued to swell. She had come this far to save her children from the horrors of her hometown but she found herself paralyzed in a place full of drugs and alcohol, violence, and sexual abuse. She had tried so hard to provide for her children, but felt that all she had given them was a dirty mattress at the gates of hell. It was the worst and the saddest, but I always prayed. And the only thing I asked the Lord was to cover my kids and me with his precious blood. That was the only thing to do, because God is the only one there for you. All right, Myra wrecks me, man. <laughs> Every time she wrecks me. Um, because I saw her this week, and she's so composed. Mm -hmm. She's so strong. Mm -hmm. what, what is a woman like Myra and others, like, what have they taught you about faith? Okay, the, the short answer is um, I need to take Jesus seriously. Um, I think, and I, and I, I, I will just be humble with y'all because I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a pastor. I'm a part-time pastor, but I'm a pastor. No and I've been, I've been, um, to, to, hear, um, to hear them describe their prayer life and then to pray with them, um, I think has, has, um, been utterly transformational um, in some, in some, I think, some very powerful ways, and then to be invited into their um, life um, in uh, such a such a powerful and a very very intimate way. Um, I mean, we it took Myra to the hospital for that birth of that little baby boy, um, and uh, you know, care for her kids, and she's church now for us. Um, she didn't have any safe place to go. She lost all the safe places. So this is like, she's now, she's now family um, uh, to us. But I think it's really important uh, for me, it's been very, very important to now hear Jesus talk um, through the scriptures and realize that a lot of times Jesus is talking to her and I just kind of get to listen along. And I, to the, the other humbling experience is that it reali I realized that, that this, is the, this is the body of Christ. When, when, when Jesus says, if you want to follow me, give up everything and follow me. 
give up, give up all of it and follow me. And I am daily in the presence of people who have given up everything to follow their faith um, in, in love. And I get to be next to them, but I realize, ah, this is what the story is about. And I get to witness it. Praise be to God. And let me be a vessel of edification to this body. Let me be an, a vessel of, of, of building up and, and blessing uh, this body. But I'll be honest, like we've got this cute little house, like La Casa de Maria y Marta. And we think about like the, the great work that we're doing, doing the hospitality uh, and whatnot. But there, there are times and we will, we will joke as a church, we will say, especially at Christmas times, like y'all remember in Matthew 2, Uh, the family in Egypt that accepted Mary and Joseph and the baby Jesus. When they were fleeing the terrible assassins, when they fled across the desert into Egypt, do you remember the name of the family that took in Mary, Joseph, and baby Jesus? Didn't make the book. (laughs) It didn't make the book. They didn't even make the gospel. But you know, there was someone there And you know, they were absolutely transformed by that and blessed by that. Can you imagine being that? You remember when we had that family stay with us? You remember that? Um, And I I think it's, and I think that that has been, um, um, that's kind of a longer answer to that question of the sort of that, that transforming, realizing this is placing us in a different, different part of the story than I thought we were in. I guess, uh, I sometimes we only hope that faith is communicable like uh, trauma, <laughs> maybe. Like we pick up other people's faith in their presence like they teach us. Yeah. Um, that's awesome. Um, so <clears throat> you've talked about the Pilgrim Church a lot and about how if we American Christians allow them to, then migrant Christians can and will transform us and our churches in some positive ways. I might be reading into what you're saying. That's how I took it. Could you say a little bit more about how that could change American Christianity and what maybe needs to change in American Christianity? Yeah, I, I think that our first job is to bear witness, to always to see. A lot of times in, in throughout the scriptures, people, um, people um, uh, fail to see or they do see very, very well. And I think that that's one thing that we need to do as a church right now. We need to see that these are our brothers and sisters. We need to see that this is the body of Christ. And the fact that, that the pilgrim church is very powerful. When I say that, I mean that they are in, in one sense fleeing danger to go somewhere else, but also they are, they are under understanding as pilgrims that they do not belong here on this earth. Mm. Um, They do not belong in this place. They are passing through in the presence of God, but they are headed home. We're We're all walking each other home, but we're not home yet. And that's an important, it's a very important, um, I think, um, uh, testimony. It's an important understanding. It's an important meditation uh, that this is not, this is not our place. Um, now, what that looks like, what that looks like is a, um, is a lot of gratitude and not a lot of complacency. Um, I, I, was, I was stunned to meet, I, a good friend of mine works with the persecuted church in India, uh, North Central India. And he would describe as worshiping with his brothers and sisters there as they will come in and they don't do the worship songs at the beginning, but they'll come in uh, to their little place of worship and it's generally secretive and they will begin by just saying, thank you. 
thank you for this that's happening. Thank you for this that's happening. And they will begin just choruses. And people are just saying, thank you, thank you, thank you. But they're not just thanking God for the good things. They're thanking God for everything. And this image that we, we can only say in this place, thank you. Um, and then there's all these, these, these the, the, um, the, 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 the stories of, 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 the, of these folks coming to us. And then when they're here, there's, there's one, we're gonna do communion in a little bit. And there was a, there was a, uh, a family that stayed with us a few weeks ago and they're sitting at the table and they were describing la bestia, the, the beast, the freight train. Um, people are killed on That's it. That's what they call the train? The beast, the yeah. Beast. Because so many people are killed falling off or getting maimed um, and whatnot. And one, one uh, mama was, descri- was explaining to her kid because he was having all these nightmares and he was hearing the trains going by uh, in San Antonio. And this, this, this one uh, uh, woman was describing to me the time the train stopped and they're in the middle of nowhere and they're thirsty and there's a bunch of people riding on a freight car together in the middle of somewhere, they don't know, Mexico. And um, she described it almost like it was a joke, but a lot of times people who are dealt with a lot of suffering, they will joke on the straight. Yeah. Um, and she says that, that someone stood up in the middle of the car and had three stale tortillas and stood up and said, hermanos y hermanas, this is el cuerpo de Jesucristo. Brothers and sisters, this is the body, body of, Christ. of Christ. And he breaks this apart and he passes it around. Uh, with this, this testimony, is like, this is awful. This is truly, truly terrible. And this is really, really scary. And we are still in the presence of Christ. Mm-hmm. Jesus has not left us. Um, and Amazing. To think about worship on the way here, yeah. happening, popping up in places yeah. like that. Like the yeah. La Bestia. Yeah. Like the beast. On the beast. Yeah. Right? Amazing. Okay, um, before we, uh, time gets away from us, I want to make sure we have time for um, uh, some of y'all's questions as well and to just kind of open up to the floor. This is, this is always a little scary, frankly, because you never know if people have questions and uh, I want to be sure that I give different people an opportunity to ask questions and so we'll kind of scatter it out uh, throughout the room and try to spread it out evenly between um, men and women and regular question askers and new question askers and all you got to do is do what this lady's doing and raise your hand and we'll get a mic to you. Kale's going to get you the mic and share uh, with us your name and your question please. My name's Gibby and I just wonder how many of these people that you get to see and help, how many are sent back? There's no way to know uh, necessarily because um, I, now I've met people in the detention centers who were sent back the next night. Um, and um, I've met people who have, uh, you know, have been locked up and I don't know where they are. They're somewhere um, else. But um, I, I will say that their chances of getting asylum, our church is working with asylum seekers. So, so technically they have a piece of paper that says you can be here until your case is heard. Now, of course, we, just like y'all, you're spending a lot of time with people who are undocumented now, and at any moment, uh, they could be you know, ripped away from their families and, and sent away. I'm gonna say, though, just honestly, their chances of getting asylum are next to, next to nothing in Texas. There's other places in the country where they have a better chance, and some people will strategically be like, I, you know, you really should. You have got a pretty good case. You should go to Illinois, or you should go to Wisconsin. Why are the chances right? worse in Texas? 
Uh, just because of the, the judges that we have mm. in, the, in, the, in the circuits here. Um, and also the definition of asylum has been adjusted over the last couple of years. The administration has really honed in on, you can't get asylum because you're fleeing a gang. You can't get asylum because you're fleeing domestic um, abuse. Um, and normally that's the stories that they're gonna tell. They're gonna, they're gonna tell stories about, um, I was attacked by this man who I guess you'd call my common law husband because he's forced himself on me so many times and he's a part of a gang and so there's nothing that we can be done about him except running away. But that doesn't count as, that doesn't count does as asylum. Um, asi- to get asylum, you have to demonstrate that you are, um, have been persecuted by um, the government specifically because of, and there's a list of, there's mm-hmm. a list of things. So. Wow, okay, good question, thank you. Yeah. Stephen. Definitely enjoy hearing you uh, talk about what you're doing. Just kind of a clarification question concerning ICE. Um, is your church, is your church a sanctuary church or help a sanctuary? And if so, how do you deal whenever you're, how do you handle ICE whenever ICE comes looking to deport somebody? And not, you mentioned that they might say you sponsor and that's pretty cut dry. Mm-hmm. What do you do whenever I, let's say if you're sheltering someone in your church and they say, uh, I need a, uh, before John Doe, what do you do? We typically, um, I, 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 ICE has my phone number. ICE comes over, um, they drop people off regularly with us. We have a pretty good relationship with ICE. Sometimes they'll drop off um, uh, really high risk folks who won't be safe in, other, in a particular detention type of, of center. Um, uh, and so, so we, are, we are very much on their radar. We're not doing anything underground. Um, in our, we're not doing anything underground in our church buildings, um, I would say. There, now, if you live in the community and you're friends with somebody and your brother says, hey, I need to stay in your house for some, that's, but as a, as a church, we're not, we're not doing that um, it, with, our, with, our particular, with our particular buildings. I, I do want to say, and this is very, very important because when we divide ourselves up politically, it's really fun to demon, demonize the other side. Um, and that, that always goes both ways. Our brothers and sisters who are working on the border um, are being traumatized by this situation. We are dealing with a humanitarian disaster. It's not a crisis, it's a long-term disaster. And our brothers and sisters who have their green uniforms are not equipped to deal with this. Um, And they are regularly saving people from the river from drowning. And they're regularly saving people from dying in the desert. Um, and they are deeply traumatized by this. The same thing is going on in the ICE detention centers. I've met, I've met people in the detention centers who work in the detention centers who are showing me all of those five little things all at once and, and the attachment disorders and the, the trauma is very real. We're all in this together. Mm. Um, we're definitely all in to get this together. This is going to shape the future of Texas, whether we want it to or not. Um, building walls or not. This is, this is transforming the future of our state. And God willing, the church will rise up and be a healing voice of good news for everybody on all sides of, of this experience. Um, Great. But. Thank you. Uh, let's get to this side of the room, right? See your hand here. So first thing I want to say is thank you for having this conversation. I think it's really important for everybody, no matter where you stand on the public spectrum, to have this. Um, I get emotional when talking about immigration because my parents were immigrants. And so, 
a lot of the times I understand the need for um, sorry the need for like wanting better for your children and so uh, this is very close and personal to my heart uh, I love that we're having this conversation I know spiritually we should pray and that would help but what are the three things that everyone here can take away that we can do tomorrow to help Mm -hmm. I think I want some action. Yeah, I hear you, Wendy. Thank you. Um, I, I have um, a little guide. Um, it's like 10 things that you can do as a church to get involved like right away, right away. Um, and those are just sort of uh, logistical things. Because a lot of times church, churches will say, hey, we, we want to do this. Like what, what, what can we do um, uh, right away? I have, the, I have the, 10, the 10 things, which is a simple kind of entry point. In Houston, you do not have to go very far. Uh, I've sent thousands of people on the bus to the downtown Houston bus station um, from, from us. Um, my caveat though is first, you need to understand the good news about trauma. Before you engage this situation, you need to also, um, you know, Paul describes like putting on the armor, but it's also opening up your heart to that, to that healing and knowing trauma is definitely not rocket science. I, I bet you there's some rocket scientists in here. Dealing with trauma is not, we are, we are uniquely gifted by God with the ability to heal from trauma, but it's important to begin with that. I made like a little video about like, here's an introduction to Christian uh, be, being like a trauma-informed Christian, a trauma-responsive uh, Christian. And there's a lot of other resources. And then the other thing is that, the, and, then, and then you go into sort of those, those, those next steps. Um, before you engage this population, you need to be able to recognize what they are doing, dealing with, and then you need to have your healing strategies and your healing community around you. Um, if, you are, if you're working in, as a teacher or in the medical profession, or if you're working as a social worker or as a, as a church group going out, you need to have that ability uh, to come back to that place. And then what you do is um, you go town. If you want, if you do want to get involved in this and you, and you're, and you, and you have your, um, your community, go down to the bus station. Um, and with, with your community. Yeah. Or your, your safe little group. Um, yeah. and, and you'll, you'll meet there. Or what you do is you make a, you make friends with a manager in the bus station. This is how we began everything mm. five years ago. You make friends with the manager of the bus station. You buy him coffee regularly. You take care. You are, you, you are, we are now very, very good friends. This is my phone number. And it is, it is laminated and you put that on the desk. So if there is someone stranded here at this time, this is who you call, we're ready, we're prepared. Um, you also, um, if you wanna get involved in this, you go to the, your neighborhood school um, and you talk to the counselor and you say, hey, we would like to help a, a refugee family or an undocumented family or whatever God is calling you to do. The counselor knows who those families are. Um, and they need as much help as they possibly, they do not have the resources to respond to them. And you can adopt folks in, in that sort of way, uh, sponsor folks, uh, bless folks and those. So there's, and there's a whole bunch of different uh, strategies, uh, but uh, you know, I've got a, a few tips and I could give uh, Julie maybe a link to, to that, um, awesome. that list of, of things that would uh, Even the first, thing, like making friends with the bus station manager makes all the sense in the world. It's a very simple step. Mm -hmm. that doesn't necessarily occur to us on mm -hmm. a regular basis. So that's helpful in itself. 
I know these issues are always more complex than we wish they were, and the answers, uh, the solutions are always more complex. But if you could get uh, that list to Julie, we'd be happy to get that information out. Winnie, thank you for your question. I, I was wanted, wanting to circle back to something I've heard you talk about before, which is the, the three most common questions you get from Christians mm -hmm. in America. And I think this is, I mean, you're spot on with this, but they're good questions, right? Mm -hmm. And um, could you just talk those through? What are the three most common questions? Yeah, I, I'm actually surprised they haven't really come. You guys give in some really, really beautiful questions and gentle questions. But uh. nor normally when, when folks are, are asking about this, and, and, I, and, I'm, and I know that these are questions that you also have, um, I really want to talk about this, what do we do at the root? But the first question that I always get is, how, how are we supposed to take care of all these people? Like what in the world? Like why do we, why do we have to deal with this? Why do we have to deal with all of this? Um, and, and there's a second iteration of this. It's like, don't we have to take care of all the, our problems first? Yeah. Um, that is a good question, y'all. It's, it's a very American question. It's a very political question. Um, another, another, the second question that, that, that always will come is something along the lines of like, aren't we a nation of laws? Like that's what the foundation, like we have a constitution, we have laws, we, we have order. And these folks are breaking the law and like, shouldn't we be able to like have borders like come on and or or should we trust people you call them christians pastor but should we trust people who break the law um and then then the last question is um is is something along the lines of like aren't they a danger to who we are aren't they a danger to us physically or are they danger to us socially or linguistically or culturally aren't they aren't they going to change who we are now all of those questions are very very good questions they are american questions they're political questions they are not christian questions and i want to be very clear about that a christian question is what is the church called to do at the root of this awful nastiness that is the christian question how how are we speaking good news into this darkness that is driving people here, this, good, this, this darkness that is wrapped around them when they are here. So I, I, it's also very, very comforting that that question, why are, we, are we, 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 we have to deal with this? Like, why should we have to deal with it? That question shows up in the gospel of Mark two times. Mm. And it's the disciples who are asking the question. They say, Jesus, how are we supposed to feed all these people? This is a desolate place. The first time it's 5,000 people in their Jewish territory. The second time they're in Gentile territory, it's 4,000 people. Both times they say, how are we supposed to deal with this? And both times Jesus says, you go see what you have and bring it back to me. And the question is always giving me some sort of iteration is, what do you have? Bring it back to Jesus. Both stories, Jesus does the multiplication the disciples just do the service and then they do some cleanup afterwards. <laughs> but I, and there's going to be, there's going to, I'm going to take a trip with some buddies down to Honduras and there's some other friends who are doing really neat work with gangs. They're doing really, really neat work um, uh, with like alternatives and creating jobs and well, let's create farms on Southern, in Southern Mexico. And there's all these really, really neat things that are already happening. Jesus is always going to say, go and see what do you have? 
And then my, I get stuck on that. I'm like, oh, look, this is what I have and this is what I'm going to do. Yep. But then the part of the story is to bring it back to me. Jesus will do the multiplication. Right. And then you do the service. Mm-hmm. The next part, of course, is like, aren't we a nation of laws? That is a good question. It's a solid question. And we have to respect folks who are like, we, I, I need order here. I have to have order. And Paul was clear. We got to love. We got we to gotta love the establishment and see it as ordained by God. These laws and these rulers, you have to see that Romans 13 is very, very clear. You have to respect the establishment. But then Paul takes it deeper and deeper and deeper. And in the middle of Romans 13 says, the fulfillment of all law, all of it is to love your neighbor as yourself. Um, And so then the Christian question is, how are we being good neighbors? Um, how are we being, and maybe it's good neighbors geopolitically, it's good neighbors in the city of Houston, it's good neighbors uh, in the state of Texas, but how are we being good neighbors? How are we, how are we responding to brothers and sisters who have been shamed by our system? These mothers all the time are hearing, why did you do that to your child? How dare you? Put your child through that. They're being shamed in the detention centers. They're being shamed on our streets. And how are we being neighbors to them? And, 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 and preaching a good news that none of you are beloved. You are my sister. You are God's daughter. And then the last question, of course, is how are we being transformed? Um, not by them. Not by, not by, you know, a sermon. Not by a political movement, not by how we're being transformed by the kingdom of God. It's mutual. Mm. These families are being transformed as well. Um, We are being utterly transformed by the kingdom of God, not by a political argument, not by uh, a debate. We are being transformed by the kingdom of God. My prayer in our church is that we are edifying these families, building them up, equipping them with the tools of healing, the good news of trauma healing. So they are planting churches of healing, circles of healing, campuses of healing Mm. here in New York City, in Houston, back in Tegucigalpa, if our government wants to buy them a ticket home Mm. on one of those deportation planes. Wow. So as you go to Honduras with your buddies and, and get to know other organizations on the ground there, I'm sure we'd love to hear about those as well. But what I'm hearing, y'all, is um, simple as it sounds, the most important thing is taking what you have to Jesus and walking more closely with Jesus and listening for his voice when he's telling you where to go and what to do with what you have. This can seem like such a dark and hopeless situation, but there, if your heart is on fire to do something, I want you to know there's other people that feel the same way. You're not alone in it. Find those people, stick together, pray together, and then work together. And there's a lot of trauma in the world, but as Pastor John has taught us, uh, Christianity is a trauma healing movement. And uh, that's what we're here to do. That's why the central event in the Christian story was the crucifixion followed by the resurrection trauma and healing.